Welcome to this week's podcast from Faith Christian Church. For more details, check out faithcc.com.au. We hope you enjoy this message. But I want to talk to you tonight about Pentecost. Everyone say Pentecost. And, uh, you know, this morning I started that by looking at the history of Pentecost in the church. And, uh, you know, sometimes people, you know, when they've never heard of our church, they often think, you know, the world often thinks that Pentecostal churches are a whole new idea, that we've kind of sprung up out of nowhere, you know. But the reality is, you know, the Pentecostal church or the church that embraces the move of the Spirit has been around for thousands of years. Come on, if you believe it, say amen. And so I talked about that this morning, talked about some of the theologians in the past and how they talked about the move of the Holy Spirit. And so uh, we're going to have a look at that tonight. We're going to look at actually the birth of the church. Let me just say this, you know, often the world associates Pentecostal churches with modern churches, right? They look at Hillsong and Planet Shakers and our church and other, you know, significant churches. And, uh, you know, they often look at our distinctive as being modern and, you know, we don't wear robes and, you know, we're dressed like I'm dressed today. And, uh, you know, I remember when I first went into the ministry, you know, my, my, uh, uh, my clients were saying, what type of robe are you going to wear? I said, you know, part of our movement, we don't wear robes, you know, nothing wrong with robes, but we don't wear robes. And, uh, you know, but, you know, we often look at that and we say, you know, being a Pentecostal church, we're modern, we've got lights and things like that. Let me just say this. Our distinctiveness is not our modernness. Our distinctiveness always has to be the move of the Holy Spirit. The move of the Holy Spirit, you know. And when we move away from that, even as a movement, when we move away from that, we're actually losing our distinctive, you know. There's nothing more wonderful than seeing people come into the house of God and experiencing the presence of God for themselves, you know. And they, you know, can't articulate it. What is this feeling? Remember someone once coming in, he got saved and they said, what is this? Is this karma? Nope, no karma. You can take that one off. It's the Holy Spirit. It's the presence of God. That is our distinctive church. You understand that? That is our distinctive. That's what we've got to go for, you know. And so I thought it'd be great for us to actually talk about Pentecost. And we looked at the history this morning. We talked about that. I want to really just focus on the birth of the church uh, tonight and some of the theology surrounding the Pentecostal church. And um, Acts chapter 22, verse 1 to 21 talks about this, after the resurrection, one of the greatest events that happened in the Bible was the birth of the local church. And it says this, when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were what? They were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken, utterly amazed. They, they asked, aren't all these speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene. 
visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. How powerful is that? Come on. How awesome is that? Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them. And I said this this morning. It's not unusual. People still make fun of the church today. But the church is still resilient. You know, don't, don't think because someone makes fun of you that you're getting persecuted. Come on, your persecution level has to be a lot higher than that. Some made fun of them and said they've had too much wine. Then Peter got up, stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It is only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below. Blood and fire, billows of smoke. The sun will turn to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Isn't that fantastic? Again, just the distinctive of the Christian faith. You know what? You don't have to be up on a mountain singing Kumbaya. You don't have to, you know, walk a thousand miles and do a whole bunch of stuff. If you just call upon the name of the Lord, you can be saved. Amen. Jesus Christ did it all for you and I. The first four short verses introduce us to the birth of the church when the day of Pentecost had come. They were all together in one place. Sound, suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven. It filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. You know, the birth of the, birth of the church came about not because of a conference or a discussion or a meeting or a group of leading thinkers or scholars came together to discuss how they can take the words and works of Jesus further to the globe. The birth of the church didn't occur as a result of someone analysing social trends and world shifts and said, hey, after all of our analysis, we need this thing called the church. The birth of the, birth of the church didn't occur because of the result of some pontification of surveys or statistical analysis on how we can best help the community. Now, there's nothing wrong with that, but the birth of the church came about because of a supernatural event, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Church, we got to be reminded of our roots. we got to be reminded of where we come from, and often we can forsake the power for the program the encounter for the ecumenical discussion. Let's never have the gather, gathering without the gift of the Holy Spirit. Come on. Let's never just gather together whole, like a whole bunch of other people. Let's never have the gathering without the gift or the community without the capability. Jesus said you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. That word power means the ability to do, the abundant ability to do. God comes... And one encounter launches the church. You know, from a quick glance, these four verses make it look fairly simple. You know, the day of Pentecost, wind, wind tongues of fire. But in reality here, there's an alignment that's actually taking place. 
there's a confirmation, a continuation of the manifest presence of God that was seen in the Old Testament and now it has come together in the New Testament and we are seeing the birth of the church, the signs, the wonders. Church, the timing was all perfectly aligned with everything that God had done for His people in the Old Testament. And anyone who was there on that day that had any understanding, and many were there, of Jewish history and biblical knowledge would see these signs as a confirmation that God was in this, that He had appeared to His people before and now He was doing it again in a totally brand new wineskin. So it's worth looking at these things tonight to understand the theological understanding on the actual day of Pentecost. Now the Bible says that on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was poured out. Pentecost was an interesting day. Pentecost was an, actually was an annual feast that had been around for many years. So we often think being a Pentecostal church, you know, it was called Pentecost because the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. No, it was actually a day, uh, an event named Pentecost. Pentecost meaning 50th. And, uh, you know, which according to Leviticus chapter 23, verse 15 to 16, it was to be celebrated on the day after the seventh Sabbath, which was the 50th day after Passover. So one of the laws in Leviticus 23 verse 15 says this, right? Uh, From the day after the Sabbath, the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, count off seven full weeks. Count off 50 days up to the day after the seventh Sabbath. And then present an offering of new grain to the Lord. Right? So it was a very significant day in the Jewish calendar. It was originally called the festival of first fruits of the grain harvest, right? It was also known as the Feast of Weeks. It became, it happened this after seven uh, weeks of harvesting, right? By the time of the first century Christianity, it was basically considered the anniversary of the giving of the law in Mount Sinai. It was one of the three major pilgrim festivals in Judaism. So out of the three, this was one of them. And all of the Jews came together. That's why the Bible says that you had different people from different parts of the world speaking different languages. Right? They weren't normally there in Jerusalem, but they came for this particular festival. Look what 2 Corinthians says about the law versus the Spirit. 2 Corinthians 3 verse 46, such confidence we have through Christ before God Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Church, why the day of Pentecost? Because on the anniversary of the law, the Spirit of God comes in a brand new way to say the old is gone and the new is here. The old law, the old covenant is done. The new has arrived. And let the anniversary of the old covenant be a significant moment of the new covenant. Not only that, but everyone was there. Can I just say this? If you're going to have a move of God, you don't want to have it with five people in the room. You want to have it with thousands of people in a room. That's pretty logical, isn't it? And so one of the major festivals that they had 
everyone came together. And on that day of Pentecost, we see God move in a powerful way. The Bible says that suddenly there was a sound like the blowing of a violent wind. Notice that Luke uses the words like when he's describing the tongues of fire and the wind. He's describing as close as what had happened, but he uses the word wind in an interesting way. Why the wind? Why did God move in this particular way? You know, throughout the Bible, there is a parallel drawn between the power of God and the force of the wind. Exodus 14, verse 21, the classic scripture that Moses, as he's standing in front of the Red Sea, the Bible says Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and a wall of water on their left. You see, when the Old Testament writers, when they're wanting to try and describe the presence of God and display the activity of God in Old Testament days, they did so with two very clear ideas. Sometimes they would demonstrate God as being a righteous judge who would judge Israel for their wrongdoing. We read in Psalms and we read, you know, throughout some of the history books, you'll see that many times God would come and judge his people, you know, and then they'd turn back to him and then they'd go ahead and do the wrong thing and he would judge them again. And so the Old Testament writers would often describe God as this righteous judge to bring Israel back into the line. But there are other times that they would talk about God in a way who would come and refresh his people, like water on dry land. And so we see this example many times in Psalms where the Bible says about God refreshing his people. The wind conveyed these two ideas in complete form in the way that God actually dealt with his people. Israel bordered on the Mediterranean Sea to the west and to the great deserts to the east. So when the wind blew from the east, it would bring a fine mist of sand which would scorch the vegetation. People would speak about these winds having incredible force and power. Biblical writers would often use the wind to make the point that things are fragile, lasting only a short time. Isaiah 40, verse 7, The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. Psalm 103, verse 15 to 19, The life of mortals are like grass, the flourish like a flower in the field. The wind blows over it, and it is no more. Its place remembers no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love with, with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children, with those who keep his covenants and remember to obey his precepts. The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. And just like a plant would spring up, all fresh and green, look amazing, and the wind would come, and would completely obliterate it. The Bible makes this illustration of the power of God so human empires rise only to fall before the face of God. What's the point? Everything is fragile and temporary compared to the move of the Spirit of God. When the sound of the mighty rushing wind came into that place, it was a confirmation of the resilience and of the power of when God does something, it will last throughout the ages. Let me say this today. Empires have come and gone. 
Governments have risen and fallen, and yet the church, which has been persecuted, maligned, criticized, marginalized, is still as strong as ever because the Spirit of God continually blows over the church. We look at governments today that try to marginalize the church and medias that try to say that we're outdated and we're antiquated and the Roman Empire tried to kill the church and you go through history upon history and yet empires have risen and fallen. Governments have risen and fallen. But for some reason, the church is still around. It is still as resilient and as powerful and as significant because the Spirit of God blows over the church. We look at the other side of the wind, it was refreshing. God coming down to refresh his people that were burdened down by the load that the Pharisees would often made them carry. The western winds were totally different. In the winter, the west and the southwest winds brought rain to the dry land. They blew in from the sea. In the summer, the western wind brought in the coolness. The intensity of the heat was mitigated because of the cool wind of the west. Hosea 6 verse 3 says, Let us acknowledge the Lord. Let us press on to acknowledge Him. As surely as the sun appears, He will appear, and He will come to us like the winter rains, like the spring rains that water the earth. The final idea around the wind is that the Spirit was associated with the breath of God. We read in John 4 verse 24, it says, God is Spirit. The Hebrew word there is ruach. The English language uses three words to describe that, wind, breath, and spirit, Genesis 2, verse 5, And the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. The term that Luke uses here uh, in, the, in the Greek for wind is rare, but it is one that connects with God's gift of the breath of life. And now God is breathing afresh upon the church. The church was birthed with the breath of God, just like mankind was birthed with the breath of God. God wants to make the church alive and strong and healthy, but we need His breath. Church, we cannot do church without the breath of God, without the breath of the Holy Spirit. The mighty rushing wind came in and brought life to something that had never, ever had life before. Third idea is this. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each and every one of them. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire. Fire in the Old Testament was often seen as a manifestation of divine presence. Deuteronomy 4 verse 24, For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. Exodus 19 verse 16, On the morning of the third day there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. And then Moses led his people out of the camp to meet with God and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it with fire. One of the manifestations of God in the Old Testament was a manifestation of fire. Hebrews 12, verse 29, Therefore we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. You get the picture. It's interesting that Acts tells us that the Holy Spirit came and rested on each and every one of them, that the fire separated and became an individual flame. In the Old Testament, especially relating to the Old Covenant, the divine presence of God often rested on Israel as a corporate identity. Often it would rest on Israel's leaders, like Samson, 
and different men of God, women of God. But now it rested on individual believers, normal people like you and I declaring this personal relationship we can have with God. In the Old Testament, it was a corporate fire. But in the New Testament, it's an individual fire. In the Old Testament, it was the whole gathering together. But in the New Testament, God says, I want to anoint you individually so that you can do what I have called you to do. It is an empowering relationship. The fire falls, but the Spirit empowers their tongues. It is a fulfilling relationship. Church, it is a relationship that brings fire in our lives on the inside. The fourth idea, and I finish with this. The Bible says that they are empowered. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violet wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated came to rest on each and every one of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak in other tongues, speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. The room was filled, but now they are filled. Let me say this to you today. It's just not enough for the room to be filled. God wants to fill you. The room is filled, and now they are filled. My greatest desire is that we just don't corporately come in and have wonderful praise and worship, a great sense of God in the house. But that you individually, in your own walk with God, there is an infilling of the Holy Spirit that empowers you to live this life that God has called you and I to live. Let us never forsake the individual filling that the Holy Spirit can do in our midst. New Testament tells us that you can make it personal. It wants to fill you. And the disciples were not just filled once, but they were filled again and again. Filled to what end? Filled to what purpose? Well, the Bible says that they were enabled. The Bible says that a noise filled the room, but now the disciples were filled with a different sound. There was a noise of a mighty rushing wind, but now the disciples produced a different noise. They produced a different sound, a sound to speak to the nations, a sound that empowered their speech, a sound that gave them the ability to communicate and speak with authority into situations and in filling that overcame their fear and in filling that gave them incredible boldness and in filling that gave them a brand new language. You see, they were empowered to speak prophetically. To speak prophetically. They began to speak in other tongues in a prophetic utterance. You know, when Peter describes what had happened, he's using a passage in Joel about prophecy. Interesting, prophecy. People are saying, what's going on here? How come we can hear people speak in our own language? He's referring it back to Joel, the prophetic gift. Again, if you relate it back to the Old Testament, the Spirit of God would often come upon people and prophets would prophesy. What is interesting is that in Judaism, there was this belief that developed that with the passing of the last writing of the prophet, the last writing of the prophet, they would say that the gift of prophecy had ended. And so now God would only speak to his people through the Torah that was interpreted by the scripture. But there was always an expectation with the Jews that with the coming of the Messiah, 
a fresh outpouring of God's Spirit would come in, fulfilling the prophecy in Ezekiel 37, which is the valley of the dry bones, and prophecy would flourish again. And in the new day, we have the prophetic utterance. We are able to prophesy because the Messiah has come. We are living in the New Testament days. It did not die with the prophets of old, but now we have the ability to speak into our future. And this event in Acts is what happened. The Bible says all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. They were empowered to witness. Luke's particular emphasis regarding the Spirit is an empowerment for cross-cultural prophetic witness. What a powerful way to symbolize a move of God. That they would be given languages that they never learnt to prove to people that God is actually real. I think sometimes in our desire to be relevant, we can over-explain some of the mysteries of God. Sometimes we try to explain some of these supernatural things. How can you explain the Trinity? How can you get your little mind around the Trinity? There are just some things that you can't explain, you just have to accept. That's what faith is. Faith says, I accept it. The Word of God says it, I accept it. Sometimes we try to over-explain the supernatural. We try to over-explain the presence of God. We try to over-explain what God actually does. And the reality is with some of those things we cannot explain. But if we are seeing them in our church, we say this is what God is doing. We accept it by faith. We know that God is doing something new, something powerful, something weird, and we receive it as people. Look what Jesus said to his disciples. Finish with this. I want the musicians to come. You see, he said this in Luke 12, verse 11. When you are brought before synagogues, rulers, and authorities, do not worry about how you will defend yourself or what you will say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. Holy Spirit will teach you what you should say. I think one of the best scenarios of a Christian is not that we speak for God, but that we make a decision to speak when we are full of God. I gotta tell you, church, there there are so many people that think they can speak for God. So many opinions about this and that. And I've just made a decision. I don't wanna be a person that speaks for God. God can speak for himself. But I wanna speak as a person out of the fullness of God in my life. Out of the fullness of God in my life. Bible says the apostles were filled. The idea of filling is, is, is an interesting idea of a teacher versus a student. There was kind of a phrase when it came to, you know, Greek was often the, the, the culture of, of new ideas and concepts, you know, the Roman Empire. And, uh, you know, often you'd have these little discipleship groups of these little teachers and they would disciple their, like there were literally hundreds of them, hundreds of them. That's what, you know, again, made the church so amazing because the church was only at that stage, only a small group of people and the world saw them as another little group. And so they, they were blown away the fact that this little group that was like hundreds of other little groups all of a sudden just exploded and really took over the world. So they're going, how does this work, right? But often there was this idea that you had the teacher and the disciple and often the disciples would say, we are full of the teacher's teaching. 
It was kind of this phrase that they would often use. Uh, uh, Please fill me with your teaching. Fill me with your ideology. Uh, fill me with your concepts. And so again, Luke is using this term being filled, that we are not filled with man's ideas and we are not filled with man's ideology and we are not filled with religion, but we are filled with the greatest teacher of all, who is the Holy Spirit, who actually can help us in the times that we need it the most. He can teach us the things to say when we don't know what to say. The comfort of the helper will help us do the work that God has called us to do. Acts chapter 4, verse 8, let me finish with these. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are to be called to account today for the acts of kindness showed to this man, he was lame being asked now that he was healed. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. Acts 4, verse 31, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Acts 9, verse 17, then Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road, road has coming here, has sent me to that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Acts 13 verse 9. Then Saul, who was also called Paul, was filled with the Holy Spirit. Acts 13 verse 52. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. We see a number of times in the filling of the Holy Spirit. Not just once, not just twice, but again and again and again. The initial filling was a baptism in the Holy Spirit where they began to speak in new tongues. Let me say this, right? It is not a weird thing. It is a powerful thing. It gives you an anointing for your prayer language. The Bible says that sometimes we don't know what to pray. We know what to pray. Right? Have you ever been in that where you're going through a hard time? You don't know what to pray. You know, is this a test? Is the devil after me? Like, have I just done a really dumb thing? You don't know what to pray. Right? Sometimes we just don't know what we don't know. Kind of messes us up. We go through scenarios in life and we go, I don't even know what to do here. I use my personal prayer language of praying in tongues because my spirit prays directly to God. And as I'm praying, I say, I don't know what to pray, but Holy Spirit, you do. And as I begin to pray in the spirit, I begin to sense a release and God begins to speak to me in the prophetic and all of a sudden I begin to open up the word of God and there's a scripture that jumps out and God begins to, starts to initiate things and starts to get the cogs rolling again. I don't know what to pray, but the spirit of God within me knows what to pray. And so the Holy Spirit, as I begin to speak in tongues, it is my direct prayer language to God. This is one of the wonderful gifts of the Holy Spirit that you can receive in your own life. And it's not weird and it's not strange and people try to explain it. Don't even try to explain it. Just accept it and receive it. God wants to fill you with His presence. But it's not the only thing that God fills you with. He fills you with joy. Church, He fills you with boldness. He fills you with a confidence. He wants to fill you with His power. We need the help of the Holy Spirit. Church, we can't do this thing on our own. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from Faith Christian Church. To stay up to date, check us out at our website, faithcc.com.au.